Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and in this week's episode, we are talking about what is the connection between loneliness, money, and trauma, and not only that, but the difference between men and women in those areas. Such an important topic for us to dig deep and know the answer. I'm very excited to have Kanae Corder with us to discuss this. Kanae is the founder of Presidential Lifestyle, where she helps professionals get their mentality right around money to alleviate the suffering from this piece of their trauma story. Kanae came into my world and helped me become even more aware of how much my mentality had become a pattern around money. These experiences had created a mentality that I had from childhood experiences and yet continued to put myself in a trauma place around money. Ah, so there's a lot of suffering when it comes to money. And it's actually not just personally. When we look at relationships and marriages and the number of divorces that are specifically around money issues, we can see that this is an important topic. So I'm excited as we dive into this episode, looking at the connection between loneliness, money, and trauma, and the difference in the, between men and women. There are four parts to this episode. Section one is, what is a trauma relationship with money anyway? Section two, where does money-related trauma become stored? Number three, three signs you have a trauma relationship with money. And the last section, how money trauma is connected to loneliness. This episode is going to be a game changer. Let's jump in. And I love that you are so specific with the trauma piece, because even though that's the work that I am doing, I don't always get to use that word trauma. And I don't always get to highlight that it's trauma. And people aren't always listening with the idea that, oh, this is my trauma in the way of my money or my love or my health. I got that mission while I was reading the book, um, Power of the Subconscious mind. So that was years ago, probably was 20 years ago. And at the time, I thought that that meant teaching the fundamentals of money, right? Invest, have a spending plan, don't overspend, all those things. And and I became a financial advisor. Now I have done everything. I've sold everything with a dollar sign associated with it, whether it's investments, I've sold money itself, like loans. I've been a mortgage broker, real estate broker. I've sold insurance, all anything that has to do with money, I've done it. And it wasn't enough because I would sit with clients day after day after day. And I still saw anxiety. I saw depression. And I noticed that what every person had in common where they say they want something, but even though they say this is what they want, they actually go towards this other thing. They, they don't actually realize say something doing. very different. <laughs> yeah. And yes. so what all those people had in common was this underlying trauma. And when I say trauma, it's whatever the brain decided was traumatic. It, exactly. what, you could hear that story and it doesn't sound traumatic to you, but to them going through it at the time, it was traumatic for them. Yes. And because yes. of that trauma, they keep doing the same thing and not even necessarily expecting a different result. They just keep doing the same thing. 
was seeing that over and over again, but not having any tools to help them. I left the financial world. The last thing I did was I was a financial advisor um, with Morgan Stanley and and I was there a few years and I'm working with people who high net worth, you know, tons of money. The biggest client I had had $38 million. And so you're seeing all of this money, but still seeing a lot of unhappiness, a lot of same anxiety, the same anxiety I saw when I was helping people repair their credit. I'm still seeing when I'm helping people invest their $38 million, right? Anxiety, depression, trauma, distrust, all of that. And I didn't have any tools to help them. So I left that world and I made the shift to therapy. I became a therapist. I went back and got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. So I took what I learned from... Thank you. So I took what I learned from finance and I merged it what I learned in in mental health together. In my last, very last class, believe it or not, in my master's program was trauma. And I left it for last because I thought I was going to hate it. I was like, trauma is too sad. I don't want to deal with it. Let me just make it the last class. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my gosh, every class should have some sort of trauma in it. So, so in that last class, my teacher was a hypnotherapist. So she introduced us to hypnotherapy. And so I've never did talk therapy without hypnotherapy. As a therapist, mm-hmm. all I've ever done is therapy with hypnotherapy. And to see the change, just the transformation, the shifts that people make in their lives, it was unbelievable. So all the time when I was a financial advisor and I couldn't help make change, I did it just like that using hypnotherapy as a therapist. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So after my internship, I opened my own practice and I decided to focus on high achievers. And from there, it kind of just snowballed into the world's number one financial hypnotherapist. I agree. Every class should have some sort of trauma discussion in it. Trauma is a part of life. And as my mentor, Dr. James Gordon says, trauma is a universal human experience. What even is a trauma relationship with money, though? Because we need to have the right discussion around trauma. Otherwise, bringing in a trauma discussion is not helpful. I want to highlight one of the most misunderstood aspects of trauma to make sure we are on the same page and having the right discussions. We will then hear from Kanae on how to discover our earliest money memory. Super fascinating. It was really helpful for me. First, though, Kanae mentioned that people have different experiences of trauma. What was trauma for one person wasn't for another. So how can we identify if we have had trauma? How do we know? That's a good question. Let me share a few insights from my roadmap ebook that you can find on my website, the steps to identify and heal trauma. And trauma is anything that for any reason at that time overwhelmed our body's ability to respond, to process, to integrate what happened. Trauma is a state of our body. It is not an event. Specifically, trauma is the state of overwhelm in a specific system in our body called the autonomic nervous system. So can we have trauma around money? We can have trauma around anything because it's the state of our nervous system. It's not an event. When it comes to money, my goodness, there are many opportunities to be overwhelmed. Even just thinking about money right now and your relationship to money, you might notice how your body energy and sensations have shifted. In fact, our body sensations are one way to tell when our body has gone into a trauma place. There are three states of the autonomic nervous system, 
One of them is the trauma place. The three states, so the other two states, include the parasympathetic and sympathetic. And then that third is the trauma place or the freeze response. Now, if you are a studier of polyvagal theory, you will appreciate that parasympathetic care refers to ventral vagal and the trauma or freeze state is facilitated by the dorsal vagal. These three states differ in their level of energy and their sense of safety. Two of them are considered survival states and yet very misunderstood because most of the time we have been told that there's just one survival state. The ventral parasympathetic state is the opposite of a survival state. It is where we want to be. It is where we are fully present, calm, yet very alive. We can be learning. We're curious, creative, connected. It is where we feel completely safe. Enough, so safe that no insecurities are holding us back and we get to truly thrive without even trying. Now, the sympathetic is another state of that nervous system, and it is the fight-or-flight state. People will identify this by their heart rate going fast, their breathing becoming faster, they feel anxious, they may even feel their blood starting to rush to different parts of their body. They will feel the need to move. The sympathetic state is one of movement and action. For example, when you're running after the school bus <laughs> because you're going to miss it. It's a very active, very high metabolic state. Our metabolism is running at its maximum capacity. There's a lot of different physiology that happens with that, but at the end of the day, it's a high metabolic state. You have a lot of energy. You're hypervigilant. You may not be able to sleep because your system is constantly telling you there's danger. There's danger. That's what we call the fight or flight response, but you're taking action. That's an important key. Now, what many people have been taught to no fault of their own, because it was what I was taught as well, is to lump that freeze in with fight or flight. So they know it as fight, flight, or freeze as the stress response, as the survival response. And that's not correct. The freeze response is the trauma response. It is not the sympathetic or stress response. So when do we go into that trauma response? Well, we go into the trauma response, into that free state, when the threat seems so big, we can't fight it. Or that it has been going on for too long that we can't keep up the fight. We give in and give up. This can feel like an emotional flat line. In fact, it can feel just like that. It can feel like I don't have the energy to care anymore. They, people can feel numb. They can feel like they're no longer experiencing joy. They just feel emotionally flat. A person in a chronic functional free state, meaning that they're still getting through life. They're not, they're not frozen. They are still getting through life. So we call it a functional freeze. A person who is chronically in that functional freeze and trauma place may need to create stress for themselves to get the energy, to get the adrenaline rush to send their system into sympathetic and be able to get things done. They may wake up in a place where they just, ah, they don't want to get out of bed in the morning. They don't want to start their day. They're already thinking of all the problems that feel too big. And they usually end up needing to stress themselves out. So they wait until it's so late that then now they have to rush and so they actually need to create the stress for themselves to be able to move into action and have the energy to get through their day. 
And so a person can literally feel depressed and anxious, feel fatigued and yet feel hypervigilant because they can be going back and forth between sympathetic and a freeze response or that trauma place all in the same day. So when it comes to trauma, I hope you're realizing that it is all about your autonomic nervous system, that section of our nervous system that runs our body automatically. When it comes to money, so many people are living in a trauma place because we adapted to life experiences around money and these became patterns so that when we look at trauma, when we look at what might be driving our patterns around money, what do we see? Do we see overwhelm? Do we see that it seems too big? The threat seems too big. I don't understand it. I don't feel like I have enough. Are we in that place of overwhelm that we're not taking action? This can be a pattern and this can be the trauma pattern that we can find when we look at our relationship with money. Now, where we need to go next is we need to actually look at our memories of money and let's dive in with Kanae again and see what is your earliest money memory and why do you need to know that? So first I would say, look at your earliest money memory or a really early one, right? Pay close attention to it and then unpack it, you know, dissect it. What does it mean? What did it tell me? And then see if it played out in your life, that earliest money memory. Now, maybe you said, well, you got to save money. You got to save money. Somebody gave you a dollar and they said, you better save this, right? That might be your earliest money memory. And so you see yourself never enjoying money, but always saving it, saving, save it for no reason. You don't even know why you're saving it. You don't even have a goal associated with it. Not, not save for this or save for that, save for the future. You're just like save. That's it. And if you see yourself repeating that and repeating that, repeating that, whether it's rational or not, but just notice that. So don't judge it. Just notice it so that you have that. I really want them to get something actionable out of the first part of what we said. And then the second part, you, you might take that money memory or another money memory and you might play it out over and over in your in your life. And it probably happened right around 12, 13, 14, where you started to repeat those patterns. Maybe you were the type of person who would give somebody your coat. I hear this story a lot when I do financial hypnotherapy. You might've been the type of person that would take off your coat and give it to somebody else because you feel like, oh my gosh, so-and-so doesn't have a coat. Right. And then you got home and your mom said, where's your coat? <laughs> You're like, oh, but Johnny didn't have a coat. So I gave him mine. It's like, what? That makes no sense. Now you don't have a coat. And so you get yelled at. And then inside somehow you're thinking probably should have done that. Now I need to protect myself or, you know, not be so generous. And maybe you stopped yourself from being generous. So really look at where your story repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated again. I did a talk. I used to do a talk for therapists and I did a talk for therapists. And one of the therapists that was in the talk, she says her story was she remembered her earliest money memory and her earliest money memory was that at five years old, she and her mom went to Wendy's and her mom said, we have $5. That's all we have. $5. We have to figure out what we're going to eat for $5. What she heard was, this is our last money. This is it. $5. That's all we got. And so she went through life with this like scarcity mindset that we have no money. And 
to a five-year-old, that makes complete sense, right? This could literally be our last $5 because that is what my mom said. This is our last $5. Now, the mother didn't mean the last ever. She just meant for now. <laughs> but the little girl didn't hear it that way. So that is one story I want to tell. And I want to branch to another story, a guy, millionaire, this guy could buy whatever he wanted. His wife sent him to the grocery store to buy red peppers, red bell peppers. He comes back home with green bell peppers. And his wife says, I asked you for red. Why didn't you buy them? And she says, he's like, no, the red bell peppers are too expensive. And she's like, what? We make millions of dollars. What do you mean the red bell peppers are too expensive? We can buy a whole cart full of red peppers. What are you talking about? But that is what his mother used to say when he was, you know, 10 years old. And he said, mom, get the red ones. And she says, no, the red bell peppers are too expensive. So at 60 years old, when this man's wife sent it, 60 years old, this man's wife sent him to the store because, you know, that doesn't happen that often. So finally he gets to go to the store and relive his trauma. (laughs) And so in that moment, he had to see how ridiculous that was, but that was ingrained in him. He was told they were too, too expensive. And so even with millions of dollars, that didn't go away because it's set in place. Even with millions of dollars, This man's habits ingrained from childhood remained. Talk about patterns. Here is where we can see a pattern of trauma. Patterns are patterns because they are so ingrained. They are so subconscious. And when we look at the biology, when we look at the biology of trauma, it makes complete sense why trauma patterns become so ingrained and they are so hard to change or even recognize sometimes. We might think that experiences become stored in our heads, but they are actually stored in our bodies. This is a key difference to note because it also shows us our clear path out. So where does money-related trauma actually become stored? If trauma were only stored in our minds, then we could use our minds to release trauma and rewire these maladaptive pathways. But trauma is stored in the body. There is a memory stored in the body, as opposed to just memory stored in the brain. We call this implicit memory in the body. This is also where we see stored trauma in the body. It's a body reaction, a body memory that we might not even be conscious of. We aren't even conscious of of the stored trauma in the body, but your body is. Especially as professionals. Professionals are great at living in our heads meaning we love to learn. We love to read books. We love information. We love to take courses. But one of the key principles of neuroscience is that while information is great and necessary, information alone is not going to change our life. What changes a person? Experiences. Experiences change us. Our nervous system is designed to keep us alive and it does an amazing job and it records all of our life experiences in order to help keep us alive. Even right now, your nervous system is doing an amazing job by adapting to your current life experience and adapting to the life experiences as soon as we even had a nervous system from about 16 weeks old in utero. So that adapting to our experiences is the best way that our bodies have learned how to survive. 
Now, the unfortunate thing is that those experiences that we've had in our past have created those reactions and those adaptations, and they have become the patterns that we continue to reenact. And yet the good news, we can create different experiences for ourselves starting now so that guess what? Our nervous system will start adapt to those life experiences. This is why bringing in tools like what I teach in the 21 day journey, creating a sense of safety for yourself with the tools that you have. When you can create the experience of safety for yourself, that is what will start to change your patterns. When you start to create the felt sense of support, that is when you will start to see changes in your patterns and how true this is with money. When we can create safety for ourselves around money, that is when we can see changes happen in our life. There is no room for growth if we keep information as just information. We need to get that information and actually turn it into experiences that we can create for ourselves. Now, let's jump back in and let's listen to mentality and how that mentality really is a play out of the biology and our body. I think that they have been told that it's mindset. Oh, change your mindset, change your mindset, especially when it comes to money. Change your mindset. If you're going on dates and you're not finding the right person, it's your mindset around love. It's not necessarily your mind set because that is conscious brain stuff. And you can tell, be positive and you can, you know, say affirmations. All of that is conscious brain stuff and conscious brain is mindset and it is a piece of it, but it's not all of it. And that's why I use the word mentality because the mentality is when we go down to the subconscious brain, where all that stuff from zero to 14 got stored and you stored it down there. And now it's like vaulted and it's in the basement and it's locked, but you can access it. And it does take time and repetition or a healing modality like hypnotherapy to go down there and get it. But if you just, so I'm saying this to say, you're not going to change your mindset by staying in your conscious brain. You are going to have to go to your subconscious brain. And thank you. Thank you so much for that distinction between mindset and mentality, because that is the exact same thing that I teach when it comes to the trauma and the trauma that gets stored in our biology is that it becomes, because it's become your programming, it's become your nervous system. It's in the subconscious and there is no amount of logic that you're going to be able to use to change your subconscious. We have to get into that level and the meditation, the hypnotherapy, I use a lot of the somatic therapies, the body-based therapies to generate that feeling of safety, of security, and going back to revisit that feeling in your body as often as you can throughout the day until you're able to stay there all day long. (laughs) But until then you go, you go back, you use your conscious mind in that way to put yourself back in those body feelings of feeling safe and secure. And that's how you're going to actually be able to rewire this biology of trauma in your subconscious. Money has been so traumatizing for so many. And I think that understanding that, Hey, let's look back at your story of origin to get a baseline to understand why do I have this pattern around money and that being a place to start bringing this into your conscious awareness is going to be huge for people. 
So how would you know if you have a trauma relationship with money? Well, there are three ways we can look at to see if you have a trauma relationship with money and really store trauma in your body. And then we will look at money and loneliness in this last section of the podcast. Since we have been talking about how the body stores trauma, not just the mind, many signs of stored trauma and signs having a trauma relationship with money show up in our physical health as well. The three ways to identify that we have stored trauma, body sensations. Do we feel our body bracing with tension? Do we notice our posture crouched or in the shame position? Do we experience burnout, tiredness, fatigue? How does our body feel? We can also recognize it by our physical health issues. Do we have a chronic illness? Do we have inflammation? Do we have chronic pain? Do we have some of these physical health issues that would be related to stress, but also to trauma? And then our thoughts. So the thoughts are the third way that we can identify that we have stored trauma in the body. And these would specifically be thoughts of overwhelm. So if you have recognized your, your thoughts around money of, I don't have enough, this budget is too much. This is all too much. I can't do this any longer. I don't think I'm going to make it. These would all be signs of having a trauma relationship with money. Kane found these same patterns of depression, anxiety, loneliness, relationship issues, and patterns that couldn't seem to be broken in people who had a ton of money, as well as people who had no money. So it didn't seem to be the money. It was the trauma beneath the money. You see, money is not going to fix the trauma underneath. You can have all the money in the world, but you won't feel free and happy and whole until you do the trauma work. The trauma will show up in your relationship and pattern with everything in life, even with money. Money is just one of those patterns that gets wired in pretty deep. So it's interesting to look at this and what might be our relationship and our pattern in life with money. Let's dive deeper into this last section, into the underlying issues that people try to fix with money, which is loneliness. Loneliness is the biggest thing when I do financial hypnotherapy. Number one, loneliness. Interesting. Especially in my men. And they can be married. They can have kids, employees, all kinds of people around them still feeling lonely. It's the saddest, but it's also the most rewarding. When that one shifts, when the loneliness shifts, it is nothing more beautiful than seeing somebody have connection and love in their life. And it, the money becomes inconsequential. And they usually right. do get more money once they open up to love. But it's kind of like, it doesn't even matter if I got more money because this love is what I really wanted all the time. It was the reason why I wanted money because I thought if I had money, people would actually love me. I want to give you the opposite side of that. And then we'll go deeper. The other side of that, which I see in women more is I'm not going to get money because if I get money, I won't be loved, right? I'll be judged. So if I do get it, I'll have to hide it because I I don't want people to think I think I'm better than them. And, And then there's also the story of, well, actually, I feel like, but I actually do feel better than them, but I won't want to feel that. I feel, I feel so guilty for feeling that, right? So we're looking at guilt and greed. Those are the two feelings, you know, that we're talking about. And so with, with men, that greed is taught to them. 
it's not taught to women. We raise our men and we say, you know, oh, you're going to grow up and buy your mama house, right? Uh, you can grow up and be, you know, rich and famous or whatever we say about our men. But we don't necessarily say that to our women. So when men are raised up, their focus, their programming is towards getting the money so they can get love because that's what mommy wants. Mommy wants a house. If I, if I want love from mommy, I have to be rich. You know, if I want love from wife, I have to be rich. And some men think that going to work, working hard, providing material things is the way that they get love. And when they do that and they're not loved, they feel betrayed and bamboozled and they act out. And then you're like, wait, why did he cheat on me? It's because you didn't finish the contract. In his head, the contract was, I was supposed to buy you stuff and make a lot of money so you can brag and say, my husband is this. I did that and you didn't love me back. In fact, it seems like you hate me. Why do you hate me? And he was like, all this, everything I did was for you. And she's like, I didn't even ask you to do any of this. (laughs) This is not what I wanted. And I wanted you and you gave me stuff. And you gave me all this stuff and I still don't have you. Now, she might not say those words, but subconsciously, that is what she is longing for. And I'm talking about couples who really do, not the couples that got married for the love, but who really do want to connect and know each other. And she's fighting because she wants him and he's fighting because he thinks she wants stuff. Don't you want to go out and tell your friends all the stuff we have? Don't you want to show your friends this big house? Go on and show your friends your pretty house. Don't ask me to come home. I'm at work so I can get you that pretty house. And so there's this dissonance, this, this, you know, this disconnect. It's like contrast. And we have, women have a different money story than men usually. Greed is a big part of men's money story. Lust is a big part of men's money story. And then we get upset with them because they were programmed to be that way. And then they played it out and they were like, all right, I like that story. I'll go, I'll give me some girls and some ladies and, you know, oh, okay, I'll get the money and some cars and, and I'll have the titles and then that'll be who I am. And I won't have any death to me. I'll just have a title and that'll be who I am. If you want to know any more than that, I don't have any words for you because I was taught not to be emotional. So what do you want from me? I don't even know what you're asking me, lady. Right. And she's saying you can't possibly not know how to feel because she was taught how to feel. In fact, so much that now she feels stupid and vulnerable. She's like, why am I always crying? So many times women come to me. I just cry too much. I just don't want to cry all the time. I'm like, if that's how you feel, cry. Why does it matter? But people make fun of me when I cry. Because as an adult, now we're saying, well, why are you crying? Because we said crying was a girl thing. I just went way too deep. So no, like I'm pull me back up to the surface. Isn't it interesting how deep the trauma behind our money issues can be? I am so glad we're going deep on this episode. I mean, that is why we are here after all. We are tired of dancing around the topic of trauma, ready to take actions and have clear solutions. So what is the way out of all of this, whether it's a relationship, a trauma relationship with money, or just trauma in general? What can we do to restore our bodies and release trauma? So the way out of this, the way to change this is through creating different experiences for ourselves. When we create a different experience, guess what? Our nervous system will adapt to that new experience. This is where we get to take advantage of the neuroplastic effect of the nervous system, its ability to change, its ability to adapt, so that as long as we are still alive, as long as we have our hearts beating, as long as our bodies are still fighting for life and to be alive, 
our autonomic nervous system will adapt to the experiences that we create for it. So what if, just what if we came along and said, hey, I have never really felt safe when it comes to money. I've actually never really felt safe in life in general. And then we said, I'm going to create for myself a felt sense of safety. I'm not going to wait for someone else to do that for me. I'm not going to wait for a therapist or for a doctor. I'm not going to wait for my partner or my kids to create a felt sense of safety for me. I'm going to do that for myself. And what you will notice is that your body begins adapting to that felt sense of safety as you learn to create it for your body. In the 21-day journey, I teach a new simple exercise each day to create a felt sense of safety for the first seven days, a felt sense of support for the next seven days, and then experiences of safe expansion for that last seven days of the 21-day journey. The trauma response and a trauma relationship with money always, always, always needs a felt sense of safety to heal. And then as it moves into a stress response, we need a felt sense of support and you need to know how to create those felt senses for yourself. You get to become the expert in your own body and your own system, knowing what it needs, knowing how to give it the safety, the support and the expansion that it needs. And with that, oh my goodness, like really you can create whatever future you want for yourself. The possibilities are endless. So I encourage you to just lean into this, to think about what you want to do for your future. Do you want the same patterns as you've had before? And of course, now we're just talking about your health patterns, your relationship patterns, your life patterns, your money patterns. Do you want the same patterns as you've had before? Or do you want something different? If you want something different, if you want change, you have to learn how to create different experiences for yourself. And if it involves trauma, it starts with safety. You have to learn how to create a felt sense of safety for yourself. You have to know then and experience what it actually feels like to be safe and let your nervous system adapt to that. Creating new and different experiences for ourselves, yes, is work and yet is so worth the work. And when you start this work, your body will immediately start to adapt to those experiences. And they start off by just being moments of time throughout your day, but then it starts to increase and it becomes half of your day. And then the majority of your day that you have created a felt sense of safety for yourself. I love to see the transformation that happens. I love, love to see people opening up and feeling safe as they open up because they have learned how to create a felt sense of safety for themselves and are working on their trauma responses. Look forward to seeing you at our next biology of trauma podcast episode. Until then I'm your host, Dr. Amy sending you lots of love. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey. And you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.